Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from our Father. In our praise for you, we always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid upon laid for you in heaven you have heard for this hope before the word of the truth the gospel that has come to you just as it just as it is is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehend the grace of God this you learn from Epaphras our beloved servant he is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and he has made known to us your love in the, your spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we, not, we, have not deceit, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled in, with the knowledge of God's will within the spirit, spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may, may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, so that you may have all endurance and patience joyfully, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Alex. Let's pray. And God, may the words of my mouth and our thoughts and reflections together help us to grow and equip us to be people who live with faith, hope and love. Amen. <clears throat> the reading was from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And so I ask you why in July 2022 in Australia are we setting aside time on a glorious Sunday morning when we could be in many other places to read and reflect on a first century letter written by an imprisoned Christian leader to a community in Asia Minor and a community that he had never visited. What is the point of that? Why do we do that? It's the kind of question that people are asking about the relevance of the scriptures today. It is a reasonable question. When less and less people are identifying as Christian, it's helpful to consider why we tune in or turn up to hear the scriptures read, to consider what they say and how they might actually shape our lives. That said, in talking with a friend this week about some of the recent census outcomes, as someone who doesn't attend church, she said to me that she is actually concerned that if we lose the Christian foundation that our culture and our society has been built on, she's concerned. As someone who wouldn't call herself part of a church community, 
that we will lose our foundation of morality and justice. And so I wonder, what might we have in common with these first century Christians? And what might we discover in this letter that is helpful and meaningful wherever we find ourselves in our life and faith journey? So let's begin finding out a little bit more about the letter to the Colossians. Well, why is it called the letter to the Colossians? The city of Colossae was in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, in the fertile Lycus River Valley, and it formed part of an important Greco-Roman communications and trade route. By the first century, Colossae had actually declined in size, but was still one of three significant cities in the area, along with Heropolis and Laodicea, which we hear about later in the letter. We know that there were numerous Jewish residents in the major cities of Asia Minor, and the population of Colossae is likely to have included a few thousand Jewish residents. The Apostle Paul didn't visit Colossae. The church was begun by a local, Epaphras, probably in the mid to late 50s. Perhaps Epaphras became a Christian through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which was 160 kilometres or so to the west. Still is, actually. (laughs) It's likely that the Colossian Christians met as house churches, as did the Christians in Laodicea, with whom they are asked to share this letter in chapter 4. So it was possibly written with the intention that it be circulated more widely. The letter infers that the church community does include some Jewish Christians, but is mainly Gentile. Well, who wrote the letter and why? The Apostle Paul is likely to be the author of this letter, writing from prison, probably in Ephesus, rather than Rome, they're all probablys, around 56 CE or a little later. And Timothy is co-author. I'll say a little bit more about Timothy in a moment. It's also possible that the letter was written some time after Paul's execution in the early 60s by an author inspired by Paul. And it is possible that the author was Timothy. However, in saying that it's a letter from Paul, there's nothing unusual about that for letters written in those days. Paul understands his commission as an apostle chosen and sent by God and responding to the call of the risen Lord. He is writing to commend and encourage the Colossian community to commend and encourage them in their faith, hope and love and to address some false teaching, the nature of which he doesn't actually get to the point and say exactly what it is. But if you remember, Paul also addressed false teaching in the letter to the Galatians. The letter follows the Greco-Roman form that is familiar um, to Paul's letters. It begins with a short greeting, and then there's a thanksgiving and prayer, which is what we heard this morning, that um, that's what Alex read to us this morning. Then there's the body of the letter, and in the letter to the Colossians, there's some doctrinal teaching, 
and there's also some moral exhortation. And then we have final greetings. Today, we will look at the greeting and the thanksgiving prayer, but next week, Stuart will move into the body of the letter, which opens with a wonderful hymn in which Christ is celebrated as the image of God who brings reconciliation between God and humanity. Paul's ministry makes known the mystery of God's plan to the Gentiles in whom Christ has also come to dwell. The whole of the letter really emphasises the supremacy of Christ over all things. Everything that God has done and is doing in and for the world is through Christ. Everything in creation, everything in redemption. So in the light of all of that, let's begin to explore the opening greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I've said a little about Paul, but Timothy was, a, was Paul's fellow worker, and he's often mentioned in the greetings of the New Testament epistles. He seemed to have an important role in maintaining connections with various Christian communities. Paul's ministry was very collaborative, and this letter reflects that right throughout, especially when we get to chapter 4 and we realise what a network of people it's taking to support this, the churches in uh, Colossae and Laodicea. The saints are literally the holy ones and faithful brothers and sisters. They are the church. We too are the saints and faithful brothers and sisters as we gather and serve together. The community is in Christ. In Paul's writing, this phrase in Christ generally means faithful commitment to Christ, inclusion in his body and membership in a holy community. Grace to you and peace from God our Father is Paul's characteristic greeting. In fact, he's greeting to the Corinthians at the beginning of what we call 1 Corinthians is identical. It may reflect the influence of a regular Greek greeting, which in Greek was karain, replaced in Paul's term by charis, which we translate as grace. And then there's the traditional Jewish greeting, which we know as shalom, but we um, translate that peace. So we have grace and peace. Some of my colleagues sign off their emails with grace and peace, and I actually really love it. I do. I don't do that because I'm aware that if I signed off many of my emails, grace and peace, the person at the other end would actually think it was a little weird. But that's simply a language thing. But there's no reason why I can't, when I press send, send it with grace and peace. They're such, such powerful words, these twins of grace and peace, such powerful gifts. 
So while they may not be words that are in popular usage in our culture, Paul's letters are helpful for us because they establish that at the heart of our life in community are these twins, grace and peace. Gifts from God. Where one is, the other is reflected. And they are just as vital today as they were then. When grace and peace are the distinctives of Christian community in any age, good things happen, especially for the hurting, the disenfranchised, and the lost. Grace and peace become the home that we create for our community to live in. And Colossians is very much a letter focused on community life. Where there is grace and peace, our stories are safe and we can safely grow and flourish. We then move into the next section of the letter where Paul gives thanks and praise for the community at Colossae, even though he's never visited them or met them. His connection feels very real. In our prayers for you, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Two quick notes before I go on. The gospel reading set for today is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, that was Jesus' answer to the young man who said, okay, Jesus, if I'm to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told him in no uncertain terms who his neighbor is. Secondly, you've heard of this hope, the truth, the gospel that has come to you. You need to remember that most of these letters were written before any of the Christian communities had access to what we call the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospel is simply the good news that has come to us in Christ. So Paul unpacks the kaleidoscope of grace for which he is giving thanks and for which he prays. And I'm going to call this kaleidoscope of grace the trilogy of faith, hope and love. One commentator I read described faith, hope, and love as a triad, but a triad is fixed. It's rigid, rigid like the legalism that Paul is addressing in Galatians and in this letter. No, faith, hope, and love are a trilogy, related and interconnected in vibrant and living ways, present in every moment in a new configuration, if we have eyes to see. And they are the distinctives of living as a disciple of Christ. Why? Because they bear fruit. Faith, hope and love are seeded and grow and reproduce. Not only faith, hope and love, but also joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and many other things. The 16th century theologian, St. John of the Cross, saw the human mind as working in three basic ways. Understanding, 
remembering and wanting. So our human mind is an interaction of our understanding, our memory and our will. St John of the Cross said that if you put understanding, memory and will with faith, hope and love, you have a perfect picture of where we start and where we finish our life with God. Faith is what happens to our understanding. Hope is what happens to our remembering. And love is what happens to our wanting. Growing as disciples takes us on a journey from understanding into faith, from memory into hope, and from will into love. What's hope? Hope is not simply confidence in the future, kind of a sort of cross your fingers kind of thing, expecting the the future to be better than the past. Hope, Christian hope is confidence that past, present and future are held in one relationship. Confusions about who were we? Who was I? Who am I? Who are we? Become bearable because of the witness of Christ in heaven who never abandons us. And so we need to be patient with one another on this journey, this journey of faith, hope, and love, as we encounter different challenges at different times and come to understanding that is transformed to faith. As we as our remembering becomes transformed into hope and as our needs and our wanting become transformed into love. So in the midst of the anxieties and obsessions of our time, which I think my friend was alluding to, may we rediscover faith, hope and love. May we discover like the Colossians that relationships, the relationship that makes us whole. May we discover God who comes to us as the Christ, wholly committed to who we are and who we shall become, wholly committed to our growth and our fruit bearing. And so by grace, faith, hope and love are also like a dance. The very dance of life, the great dance of the universe that plays out in spectacular and quietly understated ways in every moment. Why? Because Christ is in all and for all, eternally present in both the vast and the intimate. This is grace. And even when we're not looking, God is active in the world. One of the great messages from some of the 20th century missiologists was that that God is already at work in the world. The dance is already happening. The dance is an expression of who God is in, in, in the relationship of the Trinity. The musical, Come From Away, has been described as a cathartic reminder of the capacity for human kindness, even in the darkest of times. Do you know the story? Perhaps some of you have seen it. It's based on events in Ganda in Newfoundland in the week following the September 11 attacks, 
when 38 planes carrying 7,000 passengers were ordered to land unexpectedly at Ganda International Airport, which back in the day was a significant airport, but the population of Ganda had reduced to a very small number as suddenly they had 7,000 distressed visitors. The characters in Come From Away are actually based on real Ganda residents and the stranded travellers who they housed and fed and engaged in the dance of faith, hope and love. I think it's a wonderful example of the dance of faith, hope and love that's going on in the world, even beyond the church. A visible expression of the light of Christ at work in a community. So does Colossians matter for us today? Well, my opinion is, yes, very much it does. It speaks to us about things that have not changed. Even though some of the issues that Paul addresses in his letters do have a cultural context and we don't need to understand in exactly the same way today, the things that are at the heart of what it means to to be known and to be loved have not changed. Like the church community in Colossae and in every Christian community since, we too are in Christ. We too need to be reminded that faith in Jesus Christ focuses our lives on what matters most and makes real our redemption. That the love that we have for one another can flow out to love for all people and that can be a distinctive of Christ in us. And that we have hope knowing that our lives are held in Christ. The supremacy of Christ in all things is not a seasonal or a generational truth. It is the nature of life and the reality of the universe. It is the good news for first century Christians and 21st century people. Before I close, there's one more reason why this letter really matters for us today. The profoundly important and unique gift of Christianity is that it names sin and provides a remedy. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness and redemption are the deepest of human needs. In Christ, these needs are fully met and we are made whole. When I spend time with our Rainbow Town friends each week on a Wednesday morning and we gather around the symbols, they make the symbol of the cross. See, the symbol of the cross, the symbol of God's strong love, love that is stronger than everything they say, and we know love that is stronger than death. By grace, God's gift of unconditional love and acceptance and a place to belong is God's gift for all people, in all times, in all places. Paul says that being rescued from the power of darkness, the Christians in Colossae share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. And so do we. To close, I'm going to read some words that weren't written in the first century or 
the 16th century. They were actually written only a few years ago by some students, the worship band at Coomera Anglican College. It's a song they wrote called Faith, Hope and Love. And so as I read these words, I really wish you could hear it sung because it's way better sung. But let's use it as a prayer as we consider these things in our own lives. There's a light in the dark even when the road seems dim. There's a fire in our souls where faith's always been. There's a brokenness hiding deep in our hearts. There's a promise waiting for trust to spark. We remember when times are rough. All we need is your love, love, love. Our faith shines bright, greater than our fears. The hope in our hearts is stronger than our tears. The love that surrounds us mends and makes us whole. Faith, hope and love burns in our souls. If we're lost at sea, you're the beacon in the night. Scared in the dark, you are our light. If we've given up, you show us the way. Hope in our hearts and it's here to stay. We remember when times are rough, all we need is your love, love, love. Our faith shines bright, greater than our fears. The hope in our hearts is stronger than our tears. The love that surrounds us mends and makes us whole. Faith, hope and love burns in our souls. When we're all alone, your love remains. When we're sick, you're stronger than the pain. In the blackest night, you light up the stars. Love so eternal, it heals our scars. All we need is your love, love, love. Amen. <clears throat>